0: given a few seconds to think about it i'm like "Mm, this better not be some weird witch shit i hope that she is not trying to put dark magics into my into my living situation
1: i've had mine i assume you're talking about the same person who gave me mine and so it i have mine and it hasn't uh caused me any bad luck yet Okay, has it caused weird body horror
0: has it caused you any good luck any like friendly cats start coming around your your home?
1: Oh, no, no one ever comes visit me. But (laughs) uh, uh, no, it's a nice candle
0: Well, good because we're talking about being wondering whether our friends are trying to cast spells on us with candles I guess this is the big bang theory theory. Uh, Hi, I'm Nick and I'm Kyle And you are, again, listening to a show about a different show uh, where we watch the television series, The Big Bang Theory, try to make sense of it. More and more, we talk less and less about the show itself and dive into our nerd stuff. But I guess we should, at least for now, pretend that we're still interested in this terrible series. I can go ahead and dive into my short summary of today's episode. We watched season four, episode eight. Before I begin, Kyle, anything that absolutely just jumped out at you that you feel needs immediate discussion, or shall we start 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 doing this?
1: Well, I'll cue you up for your recap. I think it's weird that—I think the show makes too big a deal out of Penny never having seen Raiders of the Lost Ark. Actually, that's not it. It's not weird that she's never seen Raiders of the Lost Ark, because I guess there are plenty of people— who have never seen Raiders of the Lost Ark. It is weird that she has no interest in the movie whatsoever. I kind of figure, like, that's a universal classic, right? Is there anyone who doesn't, like, upon seeing that movie, think it's pretty cool? I feel like that, like, is a perfect movie. I mean, not saying it's the best movie ever made, but it has, like, one of the most iconic, climactic, grabbing opening sequences of any film ever made. So if that doesn't... If that doesn't grab Penny, they should be seriously worried about her.
0: Yeah, uh, two notes on that. Um, I get, first of all, uh, maybe we'll even dispense with a short summary, because I'm now I just want to talk about Raiders of the Lost Ark. <laughs> um, but yeah, th- this whole episode, foc- it centers around Raiders of the Lost Ark and the nerd gang going to see a, a previously unreleased version of it that has like 26 seconds of unseen footage or something. And you know what? There's your short summary. I just did it. Now into the nerd shit we actually want to talk about. I, I have two notes on this. One, uh, I think you're absolutely right, Kyle. Uh, it's, to me, readers of The Lost Ark is not something I would consider traditionally uh, niche nerd culture thing. It's like a big popular movie. Like, who doesn't love Indiana Jones? Like, and I, I understand how... Penny wouldn't be interested in seeing this very slightly different special version, but her, not just like lack of interest, but her her obvious like boredom and like her, her conspicuous disinterest, I guess I would put it, was bizarre to me. Yeah, who doesn't like Raiders of the Lost Ark? Uh, that said, I have never sat... And watched in its entirety, <laughs> Raiders of the Lost Ark.
1: Ah, <laughs> uh, man, you should. You, let me tell you, uh, Indiana Jones those those first three anyway. And I'm not one of those people who has like this crazy like hard on hatred for Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. I was just I'm not so into the franchise that I feel like there being one bad one at the end that you can kind of ignore anyway really ruins it for me. Yeah, I have, I have seen Raiders of the Lost Ark on the big screen multiple times because that is quite an experience. It is true. It is one of those things where just seeing it in a real movie theater is just, it never gets old. And also, I will say one time I actually did go, uh, downtown to the Arrow Theater and I saw the, the trilogy back to back. And that is quite a, that's like a rush. That is a fun evening. It's a weird evening because Temple of Doom, uh, if we've never talked about it, is very racist. But uh, just Only like... Only
0: if you don't think uh, Indian people are uh, innately evil.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. That, it's just, it's a good, I would highly recommend it. Sometime when you have a free night on your hands or maybe your niche movie theater that you have in your town can... Put it on the if it ever puts that on well, the venue, you should definitely see all like watch all three back to back because that is quite a ride.
0: Well, Kyle, so it was weird watching today's episode because coincidentally, in two weeks, I have tickets to go see Raiders of the Lost Ark at a big outdoor screening here in Missoula, and so the the fact that this episode uh, focused on that was a real weird everything is connected moment for me. Uh, and I felt uncomfortable by about it. Also, uh, I'm going to ask uh, Meta how we deal with the podcast question, which is: Do we really? Do we still want to do the short summary? Because I was kind of joking about not doing it. I feel like I can give the shortest summary ever, but I feel like there's enough nerd stuff in this episode that I otherwise want to talk about that maybe we should disp- just kind of dispense with it. But how do you how about- feel?
1: No, I mean, I I thought you gave a perfectly good summary to the episode. I mean, you.
0: I, I I would make two additions, I guess. And you
1: left out the B plot and the and the Will Wheaton spotting, and those are really the only two things.
0: Okay, yeah. So I, I will throw those in real quick. Yeah, B plot is um, so with the, with the start of the episode, it's everyone I think except for Bernadette is watching because the the ladies are back after being gone for a couple episodes. Um, all three ladies are back in this episode, and. Everyone, all, all the all the dudes are excited to go see the screening of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, the B-plot is that Amy Farrah Fowler is going to have her first ever girls night with Penny and Bernadette rather than go to the screening. And so... Well, the- she
1: works quite... I mean, it's... It's one of those things, hits a little close to home, because she basically, she works very hard to get in. She's supposed to go with the boys to see the thing, and then she finds out that Bernadette and Penny are having a girls' night. And she, you know, I mean, this is one of those things where you have to be deeply pathologically insecure about your relationship with your friends to feel anything for. But when she's like, you're having a girls' night, I'm a girl, I actually felt kind of bad for her. Yeah, so...
0: She she starts by I, – I, I I'm not remembering the exact order, but the, there's a scene where they're all having dinner and they're talking about whether to see the, the movie – well, like when to see the movie. Sheldon when wants – When to leave
1: to, to get in line to it, see the movie.
0: Yeah, exactly. Sheldon wants to get there at least seven hours early to go to this midnight showing. Everyone thinks he's being kind of ridiculous. And when he asks Amy her opinion, she is very – forthright with her feelings and says I think that if I want to get in good with your friends it is sometimes better that I arbitrarily agree with them and so she she, she very awkwardly is like no of course there's nothing wrong with not getting in line seven hours early and potentially not only getting terrible seats but maybe missing the movie altogether I guess I'll do a girls night instead and yeah kind of forces herself upon Penny and, and Bernadette to have her first ever girl's night. All the dudes do go to the movie and get in line and find themselves at the way, 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 way back and eventually find that they can't get in. There is a Will Wheaton sighting. He shows up and skips ahead in line. Uh, he is very obnoxious. And I can't tell... I mean, he's obviously supposed to be obnoxious, but he does too good of a job. And another... Well, he
1: does, he does his whole Jar Jar Binks... Uh, I'm... A little too cheerful. Like he does a, he nails that Jar Jar Binks obnoxiousness.
0: Yeah. Well. So. Yeah. And the Jar Jar Binks thing is, um, when Will Wheaton shows up, Sheldon, I think, uncharacteristically but very welcomely, gives him some real sick burns and and yeah describes him as the Jar Jar Binks of the Star Trek universe and how uh, Will Wheaton. Can only even get in for free to Star Trek conventions if he helps set up. Like, Sheldon has no interest in being kind to Will Wheaton. But another spotting is so Will Wheaton gets to cut in line because uh, the guy running the line with the clipboard lets him go- cut to the front and get in. And that guy is Eric Andre.
1: Well, so you should, I don't want people to be confused because Will Wheaton is playing himself. Yes. Eric Andre is in this episode, but what is so weird about it to anyone who is familiar with Eric Andre is he is not playing, like he is not the Eric Andre from the Eric Andre show. He is just, that's Eric Andre playing a completely normal person as opposed to a, you know, mystical, quasi absurdist sociopath yes and it is it's so discomforting. discomforting to watch him act normally it was much more off-putting and strange than seeing uh will wheaton in this episode or any of the things that you are used to eric andre doing
0: yeah he he doesn't whip out his penis once not not a single time he he's not spraying fluids all over anyone he, he's he, doesn't, not...
1: he, he doesn't have like a spider in a jar that he randomly takes out. Hannibal Burris doesn't jump out of an alleyway and tackle anyone.
0: Yeah, it's the most normal I've ever seen Eric Andre be in my life. And yes, I, also, I, I 100% agree. His normalcy is upsetting. <laughs> and yeah, so what, what ends up happening is they do not end up getting into the theater because they're so far back in line. They, they just barely get cut out. Sheldon, uncharacteristically, is like, hey, look, that side door is open. I, the the most rule-following stickler of the group, am in this one instance in my life going to sneak in. And not only does he sneak in, he steals the reels so nobody can watch the film. And the the end of the A-plot is them all uh, running out of the theater with the entire movie-going audience chasing them in a scene that I know is a direct reference to Raiders of the Lost Ark, and yet I am not familiar enough with that film to totally get it.
1: It's right at the beginning when he's being chased out of the jungle, so he raids that giant tomb, and then he immediately, the whatever the treasure, I can't remember what, it's some kind of idol, he gets the idol taken from him by the... The French guy, Belloc, who ha- is commanding an army of savage natives. And Indiana Jones doesn't manage to get away with the idol, but he does manage to escape with his life. And the final shot of the opening sequence is him running out of the forest, being chased by a literal, like, mob of, of, like, spear carrying, like, jungle warriors, while he screams at Jacques, who is the, the pilot of the pontoon boat who's just lounging on the water. He's like, start the plane! Start the plane! And that is the whole episode. We, we tag-teamed our short summary. Also, Once again, in one of the many ways the show is awful in that it can't just let you appreciate a reference, Sheldon, as he's running away, it's a pretty spot-on—it's just a nice homage, right? But then Sheldon has to say, boy, there's never a pontoon boat around when you need it. And I'm like, man— we, you didn't, we knew, like, anybody who has ever seen this movie knows which part of the movie this is. You didn't... Why? Why? Why do you do this to me, show? Why do you get my hopes up with, like, an actual, like, clever reference and then dash it by identifying your meta-awareness of it for the audience every single fucking time?
0: Well, so something I want to ask you about, Kyle, that it's the thing I was really the most interested in in watching this episode is the real nerd thing of going to midnight releases and waiting in line for hours and hours and hours. And I feel 100% confident that this is a thing you've done more than once. And maybe I'm projecting, because it's absolutely a thing that I've done more than once. And so I wanted to ask, what is the best and worst waiting in line for the big movie release experience that you've had?
1: So I don't... I don't remember there being any really bad ones because I can only – like, there is a good example in this episode. It's speaking of Star Trek references because Sheldon asked Leonard, you used to be fine waiting seven – what happened to the dude who waited like eight hours in line to see uh, the opening night, midnight premiere of Star Trek Nemesis with mm. me? and 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 in one of the better leonards like well we waited in line it was super stressful i got you know i almost got in a fight with a guy dressed as as a klingon and worst of all i saw star trek nemesis which is a good line but i've never i've never gone to a midnight movie like where i've been uh like upset with the quality of the movie i have fallen asleep before uh, when we went to see uh mad max Or I guess it's not Mad Max. Technically, it's just The Road Warrior. Totally fell asleep. Original
0: title, Mad Max 2. You weren't wrong.
1: Okay. But yeah, just fell asleep. And it's, you know, I was just too tired. I think the... So the worst, uh, not because I hated the movie, but I remember I went with uh, me and a bunch of my college friends. We carpooled. Well, I drove us all to go see the midnight showing of The Avengers, which... Was and remains the most excited I have ever been, probably to see a Marvel movie, or just maybe just to see a movie in my whole life, because I was an even, you know, I was just an even bigger nerd then. Anyway, I got so excited because we already had tickets, but it was one of those things you had to get in line if you wanted a good seat. So I was so excited to get into the movie that I jump out of the car, close the door, and immediately realize I've locked myself out of the car because in my excitement I had just not taking the keys out of the car so anyway we go we get in line for the movie we watch it we all end up taking uh this was the early i don't even think we i'm not even sure it was an uber it might have just been like a straight a legit taxi cab yeah i don't know if they had uber in annapolis in 2011 or 2012 um so we took a taxi back to the college then i took another taxi back and i was in the parking lot of the movie theater at like three o'clock in the morning while locksmith drove out and Busted into my car so that I could drive it back to the campus parking lot and then go to sleep. So that was, uh, that was kind of a crazy experience, but I, it all, you know, I loved the experience of seeing that movie with my friends. And then the other one, and this is going to embarrass you for its sincerity, but when we, (laughs) this wasn't, uh, this wasn't the premiere, obviously, but when we saw, um, the screening of Mandy together, uh, at midnight for, um, where they had they also interviewed the director that was one of the best nights in my life i had a lot of fun
0: when we saw mandy
1: man thanks i tell you this thing was super this thing was super meaningful and important to me oh did that happen
0: did we do that together I didn't, yes no i didn't just ask if we saw mandy i i said when we saw mandy oh i i just i'm going along with your story you shit jesus uh, oh I, I just but I do have one... They didn't interview the director for that. I thought that was where they interviewed the producer and they had the, the director... Oh, that
1: might be right. They had the director of... Because I remember that the lady from uh, who did uh, Girl Walks Home at Night was there and she was incredibly stoned to yes. be leading a Q&A. But I guess you're right. It was the producer she was interviewing, not, well, the, not the director.
0: Well, I remember that because uh, that was also a wonderful night for me and I was so relieved that you enjoyed that movie because I think uh, we we have similar tastes in a lot of ways, but I was like, Kyle is not going to like this weird Nick Cage freaking out, Cenobite, biker, horror, hippie freak fest. But it is, I think, a legitimately great movie, not just like a great horror movie, not like, you know, just a great genre film. I think it's a fantastic film. Jesus Christ I hope he likes it. Jesus Christ, I hope he continues to speak with me after this. <laughs> um and then we went and saw it and yeah, they they had that the the a girl walks home all at night the director there and yeah, she was she was completely out of it, but it was adorable. But they also had that producer who introduced the film and I remember thinking that was the worst introduction to a movie I could imagine because I can't I can't imagine being a real living human being and being in front of an audience full of excited horror movie late night theater goers and wanting to talk about thinking they would be interested in the tax shelter strategies (laughs) that you employed and put in your... What what is wrong with your brain? Like, how much of a numbers man do you have to be where you're like, surely this is what these these horny, drunk, stoned midnight freaks want. They want to know how I saved a buck by, like, filming in Nova Scotia or some shit. Oh, oh. And then we had a wonderful freak-out acid super sludge experience together, and it was delightful. Yeah. Oh, I I can't let the Star Trek Nemesis thing go just because I'm not someone who has watched a lot of Star Trek, Not, not any of the various series. I think I've seen the most TNG, but still very little. But the first Star Trek movie I saw was Star Trek Nemesis, and it was in theaters, and it was because I had two friends that were dating and one of them invited me along. And so I was like this awkward third wheel on their date watching a bad movie that I didn't understand. Uh, and that was my first real Star Trek.
1: So, You know I, what's really crazy about that? I mean, there's a lot of stuff that's just bad about that movie. But do you know one thing I discovered recently that blew my mind? What? What's that? Do you, so Patrick Stewart is of course The main character of that movie And he fights his evil clone Do you know who plays his evil clone? Tom Hardy baby It's Tom Hardy with a shaved head The young young little baby Tom Hardy <laughs> Playing the evil clone of Patrick Stewart
0: Yeah Tom Hardy before I had any idea who, who he was
1: Before anyone did I imagine
0: Yeah Maybe, I wonder if that was like his breakout role As being <laughs> creepy skinny baldy Picard. It
1: must, it must be. He was probably like, I'm gonna really have to I'm gonna really have to make up for this somehow. I'm already bald. I better get super buff and method act that I'm a crazy prison gangster who enjoys beating the shit out of guards for no reason. Yeah. Uh that
0: now I have to rewatch that movie. Guys. I, I have to uh
1: man. so <laughs> No one has seen Bronson. I've seen Bronson, but no one has seen Bronson. Well, I don't know. I suddenly, like, is that a big, did I just Big Bang Theory, our audience? Because I made her a reference, and I was like, oh, they're not going to get this. I better make it clear that I'm talking about this obscure Nicholas Winding Refn movie. You absolutely did. You 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 dumbed down your
0: shit for our dumb shit-eating audience. You're welcome, slime lovers. That said, I did buy Charles Bronson, the actual prisoner. Charles Bronson wrote a book on staying fit in prison, and I did purchase it. And it had a lot of crazy illustrations that he did all of himself. And it had advice like, do whatever you need to survive. Drink piss if you have to. It doesn't matter. (gasps) And I donated that to the Montana prison in a law school book drive. And I'm positive that just went into a big burning pile. Like, there's no way that they are letting the prisoners have access to this this crazy beefy racist lifelong prisoners guide on how to how to get muscly so they can fight guards <laughs> that said everyone should watch bronson that's not my nerd recommendation for for this episode but oh, it's, it's a good movie they
1: should um
0: okay C- complete separate issue from this is Um, In in the the girls' night slumber party that they have for their B-plot, there is a scene that opens with Amy speaking Middle English for reasons that aren't immediately clear. Um, They were to
1: me, but of course they wouldn't be to you, Heathen.
0: I read the Canterbury Tales, but you know what else? I'm also a responsible adult and forgot the Canterbury Tales. I don't remember the Miller's Tale. I'm sorry, Kyle. And, uh, yeah, so, so the reason this happens is apparently someone had encouraged Amy to tell, uh, a, a saucy story. And the, the Miller's tale from the Canterbury Tales is the sauciest she could think of. And she goes on to explain how, um, that, that, that it refers in, in that part of the tales to kissing the, the nether Yea, which is, uh, further suggested. Uh, I believe to be the behol, and I I can't I don't know if this is the first time or not in the series that this show has talked about even only subtly about eating ass.
1: I'm pretty sure it is. This is I mean this isn't peep show. This is uh this is a show that uh for you know middle aged uh, boring people. So I imagine that was quite a. I mean even even the way they talk about it is not particularly. They're like. They're like, can you believe how wild it is that anybody would ever talk about this? So I was both
0: kind of pleasantly surprised by the the very subtle. Well, I don't know. I say subtle. It's something that they're they're very obviously talking about. Like Amy Farrah Fowler is like kissing them in the nether. I uh, would definitely be unhygienic. So it's it's weird that she's so openly in a sense talking about eating ass and at the same time if she were not using this goofy middle english way of doing it it is absolutely something that would never be allowed in a million years on whatever broadcast network this is on cbs or nbc or what the fuck ever
1: well and also it's worth noting that whole the episode as with many of these episodes this one just sort of ends but the final beat is oh, her... I'm pumped about this. <laughs> is, uh... Cuz, and I suppose we do need to talk about this because it ties into the larger mythology of the series. Because yeah. it's, like, the first time in a while. It We don't have to get that far into it, but <laughs> they all... This
0: is one of your X-Files. It's not a Monster of the Week episode. We're in a real well, <laughs> myth This is myth <laughs> episode.
1: They're all a little drunk and, and playing truth or dare... Not aiming up Penny, Bernadette asks uh, Penny, "Hey, how come you still spend so much time with Leonard despite the fact that you guys broke up? Isn't that a little weird? Uh, what's the deal? Do you still like him? And you know, would you be mad if he became unavailable? Are you saving him for like your la- what's what's going on?" And she gets super upset and doesn't want to answer the question. And then goes a- into another room. Yeah, and so. Amy Farrah Fowler, the final beat of the episode, is like, well, maybe we should try something else on my random list of things that says girls do at sleepovers. And she's like, hmm, we already played Truth or Dare. Uh, We already painted each other's nails and had a pillow fight. Oh, random experiments with lesbianism. (laughs) Then she just goes into the other room and you hear Penny go, what the hell are you doing? And that's the end of the episode.
0: Well, no, there is one last little bit. Yeah, Uh, go ahead that is not the 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 end of the episode is is amy saying don't worry i will avoid the nether Ea. <laughs> and i think this is remarkable not just because of the hilarity of the you know the the, the forced sexual <laughs> encounter but like what is amy's deal <laughs> she is like generally in a very Sheldon manner a non-sexual being or at least she does not pursue sex actively and there was an earlier episode i don't remember a lot about it but like wasn't it like she wanted to give her parents the impression that she was seeking male companionship or something like that do you recall
1: yes basically her she wanted to introduce sheldon to her mother and as part of the ruse it what Sheldon said, and we are definitely having sexual intercourse. And she played along despite making it seem like she thought that would be ridiculous that they actually did that by the feeling. And by have a feeling, I mean, I remember basically they're in the, they're in the middle of a mid retcon for her. They're retconning her character a little bit, or I don't even know if retconning is the right word. They're reworking her character on the fly so that she's not just girl Sheldon. Cause I think they realized very quickly They already have a Sheldon. It's not that interesting to have two of them. It's barely interesting to have one of them. So I kind of like this direction that they're going with Amy where she's like, I just want to participate. She's like an alien who actually is interested in the social customs of, like, the natives. And so she really just wants to feel like she's a part of the group. Like, I Said I actually empathize with it because, I mean, not the part where she's trying to molest someone, but the part where she's just like, I just want to do the things that I was led to believe that people do when they're having intimate encounters with their friends. You know, whatever it takes, I'm down. I'm game. I might even, like, when they're all painting each other's nails, they paint her nails red, and she's like, oh, so that's what that's like. I hate it. Get it off. And I'm like, man, I really feel you.
0: Wait, when you say really feel is it because you've had your nails painted before? Or... And I'm not, like, trying to, like, a weird call it thing. I have, as a, a, a sad pseudo-goth boy, uh, had the black nails on occasion. And I do hate it because I hate the sensation of the paint on top of my nails.
1: But, you know, it's the part where she's like, I'm trying new things. I hate them, but I'm trying them because I want to be accepted and I want to be part of something. Um, I guess... that's, the part I, that's the part where I empathize with her. So the only other thing I have to say about this episode is is um this whole thing hinges on them desperately wanting to see 27 extra seconds of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yes. And uh the whole point of that movie is it's really well edited. Adding 20 there's no place you could add 27 seconds to the movie that wouldn't slow it down, and any self-respecting film nerd should know that. So it's not like Blade Runner where I get why the movie is already kind of slow and contemplative in places. And so maybe adding like a tracking shot somewhere of like Deckard staring out into the cyber forest and feeling sad might actually like add some gravitas or nuance to the movie. Why would you add anything to Raiders of the Law? Like, unless like, I just can't, unless it's like a really cool action sequence that even then the movie, like, that movie is famous for like even its action sequences are incredibly economical. They shouldn't. It isn't a. It's a dumb. It's a dumb premise. What if it a was? A,
0: what if it was a cut sex scene?
1: Well, I mean, there is that scene where Marion and uh, Indy presumably get it on right before the sub shows up. So, oh no, they don't because he hits his head. So no, there's no place. They did say that it would solve the sub controversy, which is. They're famously Indiana Jones, like they kidnap his girlfriend in a sub and he jumps on top of the submarine and the submarine then goes underwater and travels like 60 miles. And when it comes back up again, he's still clinging to the top of the submarine. And as as everybody, as anybody who's watched that movie more than once will point out, that makes no goddamn sense. But it's not like it actually bothers anyone. It's delightful. Who cares? He held his breath for a really long time. Uh,
0: again, not being familiar enough with the movie to, to have a strong uh, memory of or connection to the scene. Um, I'll buy it. I'll, I'll buy that he can hold his breath that long. There's there's nothing that stops me from thinking that Indiana Jones has gills or something like that that allows him to do that. He, he, has, he has many layers. Anything else about the episode we want to talk about or do we want to get into our nerd things?
1: Uh, yeah, I guess we can get into our nerd things.
0: Do you have one ready to go? Because I'm kind of winging it this week, but I I can throw something out there.
1: So I, as long as we're talking about Star Trek in this episode, which apparently we are, I mean, when are we not talking about Star Trek? We're in nerdy podcast about the Big Bang Theory. But I have been going back and watching, uh, honestly, for the first time. I think I'd only ever seen one or two episodes before. I've watched a lot of The Next Generation. I think I've seen almost all of it. And I've seen my fair share of Star Trek and a few episodes of Voyager. But the one that I had discovered... I've watched a lot of Star Trek, is my point. But I've never like systematically sat down and tried to watch any of the shows from beginning to end. It was just always on TV, so I was watching it. But the one I never got into was Deep Space Nine. And that's the one that a lot of my Super Trek... Friends are like it's the best one, and I was always skeptical about that claim.
0: I I hear the same. I hear Cisco is is incredible.
1: He isn't. So going back and watching it, I think it's not only is it the best one. It's like the I'm watching it like episode to episode, and it's the only one that I feel like really holds up. Like I am watching it now and i am not getting bored with it i am like i legitimately enjoy almost every episode so what makes deep space 9 different from the other star treks is instead of being set on a ship that is going around the galaxy on missions it is set on a space station that is at the intersection of a politically sensitive area it is set above the planet bejor which was recently occupied by the kardashians but they were they left and so the Federation moves in to guard the space station above Bejor, and it's also, it's discovered that there's a wormhole right next to Bejor that is a portal to, like, a whole other part of the galaxy that's normally far, far away, so it becomes this incredible intersection where, like, aliens from other parts of the galaxy are coming, and uh, and, you know, there's all sorts of but it's centrally located, so you've got to watch the you watch the small cast of characters just trying to, like, have normal lives on the space station. But also there's, like, all this, like, deep-seated political conflict, you know, because basically it's like, yes, we just lived through, like, a world war, like, basically a military op- occupation and we're all traumatized by it. And also, spoilers but not really – About two seasons in, it's it's discovered that there's this other huge, scary, unknowable alien empire out there on the other edge of this galaxy that might come through the wormhole at any time and kill them all. And they have to deal with all of that at once. And so it's this incredibly, surprisingly nuanced for like a show that... Compared to like The Next Generation, which was very episodic and very much like while it was very good with its formula, it was always like basically one or two or three different plots. It's this incredibly nuanced and varied set of circumstances that these characters have to deal with. And, and they all have incredible arcs as you watch them sort of grow and evolve throughout the show, and the characters themselves are just delightful. I mean, Cisco, who is the commander of the space station, is just this incredibly brilliant and warm actor. Um, who who does? Who basically he never responds like the actor is brilliant, whatever his name is. He never responds to any situation the way you think he's going to, and so he plays this incredible emotional range. And then you've got, like, you know, the shape-shifting station security expert and the weird, gam you know, the compulsive, greedy capitalist owner of the gambling casino who's always into shady shit. And the, uh, the science expert who has, like, an alien symbiote insider that has been inside, like, nine other people over the course of a thousand years. So she has all these weird memories from, like, before she was ever born. Just an incredible—oh, gr- and, of course, the plucky Irish— uh, just the plucky irish engineer who uh who has the who has you know whose wife isn 't is generally unhappy with him for uh for dragging her to the middle of nowhere and they're you know marriage hygien- and basically once a week something horrible happens to him he has the worst luck imaginable it 's just a great it 's a great show it 's just like an objectively great episode to episode show that I would recommend to anyone who has not seen it, who is remotely interested in Star Trek.
0: All right. And I don't think I normally put this obligation on you, but uh, do you know where to, to currently find it?
1: Well, yeah. I mean, it's on Netflix.
0: Okay, cool. Yeah, I was, I was, I was going to ask how you got it, and then I was like, oh, if you pirated it. I don't know if I want to encourage that, even though I really don't give a shit. But I, uh, hooray for it being on almost, Netflix.
1: I think all of Star Trek except for Star Trek Discovery is currently on Netflix in case anybody ever wants to watch it.
0: Cool. All right. So Star Trek DS9. I am going to make not a half a I, I just a not prepared recommendation. What I will recommend uh, wholeheartedly that, that came up during the episode uh, really briefly is uh, The X-Files. I don't think I've really talked about The X-Files on the show before. And if I have, I forgot about it and I don't care. But yeah, I think... The, the X Files is something that's come up once or twice on The Big Bang Theory, the the show we're watching, not the show you're listening to. And uh, it's great if if you somehow have not become aware of the show or have an idea what it's about. It is um, it focuses on two federal agents, uh, Dana Scully and Fox Mulder. Uh, and wait, they're... are you
1: seriously like breaking down the plot of the X Files?
0: Did you just seriously break down DS9 for people who have
1: never seen it? DS9, is is there anyone who doesn't know that the X-Files... I just want to know who's I start, watching I they- said,
0: for anyone who's not familiar with the X-Files, I said. And then I went on to begin describing the premise of the X-Files, Kyle. I think For people is-
1: who haven't seen the X-Files. Because I'm recommending this- it to people who haven't fucking seen it before. I think even people who haven't seen the x anyone who's seen an episode of Friends knows that there's like, in fact, didn't we go over this like two weeks ago when we were talking about because the Big Bang Theory made a joke about the X-Files and you were like, well, even the people who haven't seen the X-Files probably at least know that there's about two FBI agents. I'm going to continue describing the premise of the
0: X-Files because it seems more productive than being interrupted to tell me that people who don't know about the X-Files know about the x Sorry for technical difficulties. The, the software we we're using to record the, the podcast glitched out on us, and we had to do some reconfiguring.
1: I um, mean, I think what actually happened is I got Nick so frustrated that it broke the podcast for a second. Which also is totally always, possible. Which is always my goal.
0: But we were wrapping up the episode. Really, all I was going to say... Uh, I was going to finish up by saying...
1: No, I, please tell us, tell us the plot of the X-Files. Well, I already did, so... Eat no, my... you did. You, you got as far as there's Mulder and there's Scully. What do they do? Maybe you dropped off. I did
0: that. You go ahead and be sarcastic about wanting to describe something to people who are unfamiliar with it. But what I was going to say to wrap up was...
1: I always thought it was the weakest of like the X-Men franchise. I've never seen it, but it's like, you know, since neither of the two main characters are mutants, and I guess they just hunt mutants, I thought that was a weird way to make like an you know, an X-Man show, but now Legion, that's a good one. Uh-oh. All right, cool. <laughs> I've never
0: finished the X-Files. I think I stopped somewhere around season six because it gets too mythological heavy. Those episodes aren't very good. The, the villain in particular, crychek I, I hate that guy. Not, I just hate him as a villain. Like I hate every time he's on screen and I don't want anything to do with him. Yeah. It's, it's when the show takes itself seriously it's hard for me to take seriously. When the show is, like, having a fun time or just getting real spooky, it's fantastic. And so I would say watch The X-Files up until the point where you are no longer having fun watching it and then feel fine to stop because that's what I did. I can't recommend watching the entire series. I think you absolutely should watch the first few seasons at least. There, with with some glitches and and some... sass some real hard sass we made it through our nerd recommendations any final thoughts on on today's episode before we wrap 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 up nope cool well all I'm going to say is I'm going to reread the Canterbury Tales I guess and see if I can interpret the, the horniness any better as a an adult with a fully grown brain rather than when I was like 20 and having a uh, a, a foppish literature professor explain it to me in a way that he thought was interesting that did not connect with me at all. So I wonder what, how far ahead in time we have to go before the version of English we're speaking now will be recognized as like a distinct language, but still English. Like what, like let's say that we are currently late English and then sometimes come... Comes meta English like how long until that, that break happens or will it happen
1: oh I think I mean well when the United States collapses which depending on our current timeline is anything between the next six months to another uh four to eight years depending on how you want to do it then there will be a massive you know English will lose its political it'll still have its cultural currency because it's the language that most of the world speaks and trades so that's not going to change but we're going to we're not going to have nearly as much ability to police it once we stop being one of the dominant world superpowers and so once that happens i imagine that a lot of the most powerful english speakers will actually be like indian and chinese people and at that point i think it will mutate quite a bit so then you're looking at sort of a firefly style english um that has like a lot of you know Chinese profanity, LinkedIn, and also probably a lot of meme speak.
0: I'm into this, and even though at the time Firefly came out, I don't know if I could endorse using Chinese slang because it would have seemed too nerdy. Now that we're a good ways past it, I'm on board. I'm, I'm ready to start adopting that, that bit of speech and to see where it goes.